starting. We're it's live. It's 1106. Yeah. Okay, so you we're live. You can start off with that, Brandon, as people flood in. Brandon, okay. what's your question? How do we want to stick? I don't even know. Off? I, you know what? I think I, I, I think we should start off with the story of how I heard. The first time I ever heard of this type of business was Billy oh McFarland's company. Only that was kind of the in-person version um, of Cameo. You and know, it, I, it, I think it's just funny because I remember analyzing the business, not thinking about its potential as being, I guess, a digital business. Um, and then we heard of you and there was natural skepticism because of who had that first idea. Well, it's it's really interesting because we got going right at the same time that Fire App did. And I remember uh, Lance Thomas on the New York Knicks, who's one of my best friends and one of the first investors in the platform. You know, he invested in Cameo. And then a couple of weeks later, he's like, hey, have you heard of this company, Fire? And he sent me the link. And I remember going to the website. And it was like Little Wayne and you know, Eminem and like you know, every A plus. I think they were doing bar mitzvahs, though. Yeah, it was like every A plus list athlete, actor, celebrity. And, and it was kind of like, like I saw it and immediately like Lance was kind of having that holy shit moment, right? Like, are we done or are they, they going to kill us? But I'm, I was looking at two things. Number one on their website, uh, they had a blind bid system, which basically said, Hey, if you want little Wayne to show up at your event, you know, just put it in the bid of what you would pay. And I've always felt like a blind bid system just isn't going to have the same liquidity. Maybe this is the trader in me, but nobody says like, Hey, tell me how much you'd pay for Tesla stock and I'll either sell it to you or not, right? Like things clear best. The reason like you go into a store and you know how much a pair of shoes cost or you, you know, the stock markets have a constant bid ask at any time is you can't, you need to have transparent pricing or it's not going to clear. And then secondly, I also felt like for the A plus list uh, athletes, actors, celebrities that were on there, you know, how many people in the world could actually afford to get little Wayne to show up at your bar mitzvah, right? Like there are certainly people out there and it could be lucrative, but it's not a massive market. Right. Charging a hundred dollars or less is a mass market product. Exactly. Now you've okay. built this kind of massive um, marketplace is, is the mission of the co of the company to build a massive celebrity a to sort of D list celebrity marketplace and start off with your original pro product, which is, I guess, making short videos um, for people as gifts and building off of that with the with the optionality that the marketplace gives you. So the, the mission of Cameo is to create the most personalized and authentic fan connections on earth. Uh, we hope to manifest that mission by creating the marketplace where for X amount of money, you can do Y activity with Z person. So we went to market with one Y activity, which is the personalized video shout out. But as we've scaled, um, and I know what we'll be spending a lot of time today talking about is we're now starting to get into those next second, third, fourth, fifth Y activity, because once you've gained the trust of the consumers and you've gained the trust of the talent, you know, now it's not just as simply getting pinged and recording a video for 30 seconds. It's now getting pinged and doing a variety of other activities for you know however much amount of time, um, and that's manifested itself by really high net promoter score on both the customer and on the talent side. So um, I remember back in 2014, I was reading an article, and it probably was some celebrity event that happened or music event, and there was a quote that really went throughout. I think it was a Wall Street Journal article, maybe that Taylor Swift basically came out and said, "The selfie is the new autograph." And I, I remember literally taking that, you know, uh, screenshotting a picture and sending it to my teenager at the time and saying, you know, do you agree with this? And she obviously totally did. Like, and in many ways, I've heard you talk about sort of the selfies, the new autograph, many times. Like. How did you get to that conclusion? Like, how did you figure that out? Or what, what led you to believe that that was a business that you could scale? So my, my opinion of that actually started like way earlier in life. Uh, when I was eight months old, my grandparents and my parents took me on my first vacation uh, to Maui. And they were walking on a beach. And this was summer of 1988. The Los Angeles Lakers had just won in an epic game seven. I think this is probably a Celtics or a Pistons type series back then. Um, 
And Magic Johnson was sitting on the beach and my grandmother walked over and I'm a tiny, you know, eight month old baby. And she she brought me to Magic Johnson and asked Magic Johnson to take a picture with me. Uh, Magic Johnson was at the height of his fame. He said, no, absolutely not. My grandmother dropped me on Magic Johnson's lap. Uh, my grandfather, who's a professional photographer, snapped a picture. And there's this epic picture in my parents' house of Magic Johnson holding me as a baby. And, you know, for the next 25 years, every single person that would walk in our house, like that was always the favorite thing that they had. And I have a lot of cool autographs. I've always been an avid memorabilia collector, but that was always like the favorite thing that was in my collection. And it's something that, you know, I brought that picture to college. I've been thinking a lot about that. And then, uh, then when my grandmother ended up passing away in 2016, my now co-founder Martin flew in for the day for to Chicago uh, for, for the funeral from Los Angeles. And he showed me a video that he'd gotten made uh, for his buddy, Brandon, who at the time was uh, one of the top marketing executives at Nike, but he was a diehard Seattle Seahawks fan. Brandon uh, had just become a father for the first time. And Martin got Cassius Marsh from the Seahawks to record a video congratulating him on becoming a dad. Uh, this video was authentic. It was raw. He's driving. He's got no shirt on. He's all tatted up. Like it was just an amazing thing. And being someone that's been around athletes and entertainers and musicians my whole life, I hadn't really seen anything like that before. And I thought that was a cool, that was cool. And immediately the light bulb went off and I'm like, if the selfie is the new autograph, like how do you take a virtual selfie? And it had to be through a personalized video message. It was the only way I could think of doing it. And uh, immediately I'm like, Martin, we need to sell that. And, um, and you know, four years later, here we are. It seems like every time I go back um, in and check out what's going on, the, the quality, I don't want to say the quality, but the level of the celebrity keeps getting um, bigger and bigger. Um, why do you think that's, that's happened? Like, is it, I mean, I, I've seen some of your past interviews where you've talked about your recruit, your outbound recruitment, as well as the stuff that's coming inbound. Um, can you kind of walk us through like how it's expanded to getting, you know, some top A talent on the platform? So in the early days, if you if you three had uh, decided to be, you know, cameo talent acquisition uh, salespeople and you joined the company in 2017, the first thing I would do, I would have brought you into my office and we'd have a whiteboard there and I draw an access and the X axis would say uh, willingness from zero to 100. And the Y axis would be fame from, you know, Steven to LeBron James or Justin Bieber. Of course, we've always wanted people in the top right quadrant. People are very famous and very willing. We don't want people in the bottom left quadrant. If you're the backup left tackle of the New, New, uh, New York Jets, and you know you're not. I thought you were. I thought you were going to say Giants. I thought you were going to shit on the Giants one more time this week, but you didn't. So I appreciate no. that. No, so you know if you were doing that, uh, we don't want to deal with those people who are kind of a pain in the ass and not that famous. Uh, the very contrarian bet we made early, and this specifically, I was even thinking about our positioning to fire app back in the day was we focus on people in the bottom right who are less less famous but more willing over the top uh, top left more famous, less willing. This was super contrarian, but I believe that if we could build a great experience and build liquidity early, and if the platform were to rise, some of the people in the bottom right who are less famous, more willing, would eventually become more famous and move up to the top right quadrant. Additionally, just as the platform grows, you're going to see the, the y-axis shifting to the left, and more people that are not willing today will be willing tomorrow. Um, is good evidence. I mean, look at the growth of TikTok. Uh, in the last year, you're seeing the JLos of the world and A-Rods are on TikTok. Like three years ago, they would have never been on Musical.ly, right? And and that's just because as these platforms grow and the flywheel starts, the willingness curve shifts. So we always believe that if we just focus on people who are going to create amazing moments, amazing magical moments for the fans, eventually other people would join and the flywheel would get going that way. So it's just natural. And, and then secondly, um, we have a talent-to-talent referral system. So you know, right behind you, you've got, uh, you know, Ice-T and Snoop Dogg on your, on your background, Walter. Uh, we got Snoop Dogg because Ice-T was having a great experience. And then he showed, uh, he showed Snoop how much money he was making, how much fun he was having on it. And then, you know, effectively, he became our outside salesperson and, and the person, you know, who got us to one of the most iconic people we have on the platform. 
So part of the recruitment's not about you know offering better economics. I know you're split 75-25. We've never um, changed our split flat for everybody, talent. no matter who it is. Uh, we've never paid anyone to come on. We've never given equity, and we've never done a minimum guarantee. All four of those things are things that everyone in Hollywood said we would never be able to do, uh, but we've done them. And at this point, we have thirty-five thousand people on the platform. So, you know, does somebody new deserve better economics than Snoop Dogg? I don't think so. Can you talk about how people set prices? Do you help with that? Is there is there a market? I, it sounds like you had. Do you have a Wall Street background, by the way? I was an options trader. Uh, okay, because you brought that up at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so, so how do, how are prices set? Uh, prices today are set more like Zillow or uh, Redfin. You know, you 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 go onto Cameo, and I think our consumers are looking for good relative deals. So, I, probably one story that really sticks out to me was from the Real Housewives of New York. Dorinda Medley from the Real Housewives was one of our top talent. Uh, she joined the platform at $60. There was inelastic demand for her until she got to 99. She then raised her price to 125 and her bookings cut in half, right? Because she became relatively more expensive than her peers on The Real Housewives. We brought her this data. We told her that 99 was a better price for her. We're a marketplace business. So if she's cut her books bookings in half, we're making less money as well. So I think like we're very incentivized with the talent to help them find the right price. Uh, in the earliest days, I had an equation that I call earnings per minute. And with pro athletes, this was easiest. You know how much they make. So if you make $25 million a year uh, and you divide that by 2,000 hours in a work year, 50, 40-hour weeks, divide that by 60, you find out that, that you make $208 a minute as somebody making $25 million a year. So if you're charging $100 or $150 per cameo, you can actually make more money per minute on Cameo than you can playing in the NBA on a max salary. So that's the type of math we did early to help build liquidity. And then after that, um, we, you that's know, some good, that's some good math. I was going to say, did they, were they following you along and writing down on, on a tablet, all the numbers to, <laughs> I told them to, to check, to check them. I mean, I mean, again, I think, I think I told them at the end, right. Trust me on this, but right. we were establishing something totally new. So we were using comps in the early days, like how much do you charge per an autograph? You know, what does it cost to do a meet and greet? But we didn't know if like this should be more than an autograph or less. Like this is a completely new market. And when we went to market, we started selling $1, $2, $3, $4, $5 cameos. And over the last four years, the average price per cameo has risen from, you know, $5 to $90. What makes a good cameo i'll call it creator for lack of lack of a better word who's at the top of the of the most sort of cameoed celebrities and why the people who do the best i think really take it seriously um overwhelmingly comedians tend to be the best on the platform so i think when you watch their videos you know why like if anybody's watched a michael rapaport cameo or a brian Baumgartner cameo you know, or uh, Gilbert Godfrey, like they're so funny. And, um, and you know, one of the things a lot of comedians would talk to me about early was the fact that Cameo is really a way to help them hone their stand-up skills uh, because they're coming in, they're getting like a little 250 character nugget of information and they're co-producing a new joke with their fans. Um, so I think comedians tend to do the best. Uh, reality TV stars uh, do extremely well on the platform. Uh, iconic characters from, um, you know, beloved shows. So, you know, people like, you know, if you were on The Office or if you were on Seinfeld, uh, even if you weren't Jerry Seinfeld or you weren't, um, you know, you weren't Michael Scott, right? Like you could still Sopranos. do well. Um, Sopranos, right? Any any iconic character for an iconic show can do really well. You guys do anything to like push and make some of these things viral? Because I'm thinking like if I'm, Rappaport got, you know, busted from Barstool at some point. So he wants to kind of build himself up. They're funny. So to him to increase his presence, like, are you guys helping and like trying to get good cameos on TikTok or other platforms to kind of get, get some buzz for that particular person? It's actually really great that you asked that. Uh, yesterday, we just crossed our millionth follower on TikTok. So uh, that's our biggest social platform. And I think our content is uniquely um, great for putting on TikTok and getting uh, more distribution. So as we continue to grow that channel up, and, and I think we had no followers on that five months ago, right? So that's that's been huge, bigger than our uh, 
Twitter now bigger than our Instagram. So what about Reels? You don't you don't look at Reels as one of your one of your big platforms to push. <laughs> I think we put stuff on Reels, but it's not you know there's okay. certainly not the same traction that you're seeing on TikTok right now. Um, so from our perspective, uh, yeah, of course we want to continue to do that. But the best cameos like tend to go viral without any help from our end. Um, I don't know if you guys saw uh, the Smokey Robinson one last week where he didn't know how to say Hanukkah. And, you know, that that was so big. There was a whole segment on SNL about it on, on this past Saturday. I mean, was that real? Was he pretending not to know how to say Hanukkah? Or was that just like a legit? I think that was real. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, you know, when you, when you see it with the C, it's harder. Well, you know, first of all, uh, for everyone watching, um, Stephen, if you have questions, please use the Q&A box. Just post your question and we'll try to get through as many of um, audience questions as we possibly can throughout the rest of the time here. But, but, you know, the, the question that Walt asked about creators is fascinating to me because when I first saw your platform, it really was sort of, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, it was like B and C list celebrities or older celebrities. But now I look at, forget about what we think of, meaning, you know, us older people think about as celebrities. I think about what my kids think about our celebrities in terms of influencers. And, you know, Ryan Wyatt, who runs YouTube Gaming, posted something the other day saying that there's you know, what was it? A hundred billion hours of YouTube gaming content was consumed in this year, which is not terribly off from where Netflix is in terms of global consumption. And that's just YouTube gaming. Forget about growing much, growing much faster though. Correct. And so, so what I'm getting at is to my daughter watching Minecraft players play Minecraft. Those are many, many cases, you know, the celebrities to her. And so how do, how does the creator economy, how do they perform versus the traditional comedians like where does that sort of sit within the cameo platform i'm seeing a lot more of them today than i did a year ago i think we have you should think about cameo not in terms of a list b list c list but really in three buckets nostalgic now and next i think is actually a much better way to think about uh, the talent that we have we're really famous for our nostalgic talent right like Everybody knows if you're a Hall of Fame athlete, you can go find me on Cameo. Like that's been very established. We've done a great job at that. Uh, quietly, we've done a really good job at Next, right? So we're great at getting people uh, on the way up. And the way we can do that is use our proprietary search data. So we find people like the Tiger King cast the second that that show comes on the air, people start searching for them. We go reach out to them. And, and we get them, you know, before, uh, you know, they, they sign with an agency or, or before they're, you know, kind of established. And then, you know, as we're doing really great at nostalgic and we're doing great at, at next, invariably what ends up happening is you start really getting better and better at the people that are now. And the other thing I'll mention too is now the, the, the talent who are like the ubiquitous A-listers of the past, right? The Michael Jordans, the Wayne Gretzky's, the you know, um, the Jennifer Aniston's, the Brad Pitt's, like those people are less important today than they've ever been before. And you're seeing the rise of the rest. Um, you know, when we look at the ecosystem that could be on Cameo, there's two and a half million people in the world today that we think could qualify as Cameo talent. And we believe that number will double in the next five years. And you're seeing it, right? Every day there's some new TikTok sensation sure. that pops up. Uh, musicians can just get on SoundCloud. They don't need to be with a record label to go touring. Um, you know, no, I mean, athletes, I, I, I look at I look at the D'Amelio's having a show on Hulu is it basically shows you that the creator economy is essentially building new brands and new content that can, you know, replicate what we've seen in, in the traditional TV universe. Yeah. One, one of the things I like to talk about, Rich, is that our belief is that the amount of fame in the world right now is exponentially increasing, but the underlying business models supporting it are growing linearly. And how we see that is on YouTube, the top 3% of creators make 97% of all the ad revenue. On Spotify, the top 42,000 artists uh, make 90% of all the revenue, but there's 5 million songs on, or 50 million songs on Spotify now. Uh, in sports, the top 1% of athletes make 99% of the endorsement revenue. And 80% of NFL players go broke five years after playing their last game. And in, in uh, actors, uh, the oldest meme in Hollywood is the out-of-work uh, actress like waiting tables at Mel's Diner in Hollywood, right? And 99.9% and of the Screen Actors Guild is unemployed at any given time. 
So the legacy business model. They, they still get be, to vote in. They still get to vote in all of the contract disputes, though, which is what's amazing. Yeah, but but the legacy business model really only works for the top, you know, one percent. But with social, uh, you know, everybody on earth is more famous today than they've been before. Uh, look at someone like Lil Nas X, who had the you know longest number one song of all time last year. You you know really fueled by TikTok, uh, Old Town Road. Lil Nas X now has tens of millions of followers on social, and he actually may be a one-hit wonder. Like maybe he'll have more songs, maybe he won't. But he's got this platform that lasts forever. So in 2020, if you have 15 minutes of fame, that can last for 15 years. So the half-life of fame is actually increasing because social is sticky. Now think about 20 years ago when Chumbawamba came out with Tub Thumper. None of us know where they are today. But if they had happened in 2020, like are they on Cameo? <laughs> That would be a good. I know someone I'd like to send that. What to. they do besides sing that? I get knocked down. That was them, right? I get knocked. Yeah, down. yeah, but, but that's my point. Like, if you did that, if you had a one-hit wonder in 2020, you would be famous for the next 15 years because of social. Um, there's a question that came in from the audience that was something I was thinking about as we talk about monetizing creators. And you mentioned how the ad ecosystem on YouTube only kind of rewarded the top creators. So now there's opportunities to directly monetize, whether it's through Cameo or another um, application, which is or service, which is only fans. Do you consider them to be a competitor, Patreon? Any, any of these other sort of uh, businesses to help mid-level creators? I don't look at uh, Cameo or Patreon or, or OnlyFans as competitive with each other, but I think we're all uh, trying to solve the same problem. At the end of the day, we're all trying to solve this widening gap between fame and monetization. But I think we're all part of this broader push to shift the business model in sports and entertainment. Uh, away from the legacy one and more towards a direct-to-fan monetization business model. I think a lot of really big businesses are going to be built here. And the three that you've talked about are all you know, evidence of this. And, and there's a lot coming up as well. Um, there's a lot of exciting companies that are coming up the pike trying to solve this. Um, you know, Currently, when we look at our talent base, only 1% of our top 1,000 uh, talent in GMV have, a, uh, have an OnlyFans account and only 6% have Patreon accounts. So I think the branding of you know those platforms, Patreon for kind of like creators or OnlyFans largely for the adult industry, you know, branding because it's so important. And I think um, that some talent just aren't gonna, some talent that might love that same suite of products just won't join one versus the other. I mean, we, we allow porn stars on Cameo, but they're not allowed to be naked. And I can't tell you how many uh, Disney stars in the early days were like, I can't be on the same platform with this person. So for me, I think if all of our trains, uh, all of our freight trains start going the same way at full speed, like I don't think there's much, much crossover. I'm going to go the other way on, on the TikTok uh, rather than you guys using it. Um, how big, this is a question on the, in our chat, uh, how big have the TikTok personalities become, become as a driver of, of demand on your, on your platform? TikTok personalities are, of course, an emerging uh, center of demand. Um, I like to think of TikTok and Twitter and Netflix and Spotify and all these platforms. They're all the farm system for Cameo. Right now, these people are getting famous on these other platforms, but they're large, they're largely not monetizing there. So Cameo is really the place where once they're famous, they can go to monetize and turn their fans into super fans. I mean, do you guys try and do stuff with those personalities in terms of stuff, in terms of how they develop the comment on Cameo, or is it all just basically on the, the people that are purchasing the, the time? Because we, we had done a prior Light Shed Live with TikTok, and they were talking about how, like in Charlie's case, that they would say like, hey, maybe you can you know do a TikTok about this particular song, and that's going to help it to get more viral. Do you get involved at all in the content creation on your platform? Right now we're a marketplace. There's, you know, there may be times where we're, where we see an amazing campaign and we actually try to help it go viral or we try to, we see a great reaction video and we make sure that the right people see it. So we'll help, you know, individual videos go viral, but it's, it's right now we're not um, in the content. We're letting, you know, we, we think the fans of these talent have unbelievable ideas. And really, if you think about what they're doing, the fans are co-producing a piece of content with their favorite creators, right? And, and there's a, enough good ideas on the fan side that 
you know, we don't feel like we need to meddle on that. And I agree. You would say you can make the same argument for TikTok. That's why I was a little surprised again in that prior conversation that they would, you know, have engaged with some of their bigger talent um, in terms of trying to get them to do stuff because obviously the, the, you know, the amount of talent, the amount of content that they're getting is global, right? So you wouldn't think that they would get that involved, but certainly there was some, um, some engagement there. I also think as we scale, like there may be opportunities to do that. So probably the best case uh, early in the pandemic, we did something called Cameo Cares, where we brought uh, a bunch of our talent to create the world's first uh, fully digital fan convention. And, you know, we had yep. uh, amazing uh, roundtables. Like one of them, I remember was, you know, Mike Tyson, Brandy Chastain, uh, Tony Hawk, and uh, Cedric the Entertainer, like just talking about the future of fan engagement. So that, has, like, there, has there been any collaboration? Because that's another big part of TikTok, obviously, right? So we brought collaboration off the current platform. But when we're thinking about things we can do in the future, I do think collaborations are going to be uh, increasingly key. Uh, we're seeing it right now where an individual customer might book a cameo for Mike's Tea and say, hey, I know I saw on Instagram, you've been hanging with Snoop Dogg. Can you, you know, can you two do one for me together? But right now we haven't built the tools where you can book like two people at once and have them make a joint cameo. Yep. I was actually just thinking about what Walt said about getting more involved in the creative process of, of the, I guess, creators and celebrities on your platform. As I, we're going to probably talk a little more about ambitions with working with businesses um, and advertising um, later on. But as as you build and scale and start to work with businesses, do you have to add kind of that creative agency element to it? That's my question. And then there's a, a question in the chat that I think um, dovetails pretty well with that, which is, um, speaking of agencies, how does Cameo navigate the world of agents, talents, managers, attorneys, um, and commissions? And I, I, I'd add that's a lot rolled into one creative agencies to that. <laughs> so first, first on the you know details of um, as we're working with businesses, how do we help them like create better requests? For example. Um, you know, we do through our cameo for business offering, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, uh, provide like white glove concierge service to help, you know, massive companies that don't want to sit and like put in all these requests, but they want the content. You know, we have people at cameo that know how to make a really good request or can make sure it comes out perfect. So that's part of the white glove concierge offering that we give to our biggest customers, um, you know, on the agency manager side. Uh, look, I mean, I think this is a business that uh, historically had been a low net promote, promoter score business. Um, we have added a completely new revenue stream that didn't exist before. Um, the agencies and managers were never really good at direct fan monetization. They're great at going to Madison Avenue. And that's something that we're, you know, we're not great at. We don't really have aspirations there. We think we've got amazing opportunities to go to Main Street. We think we've got amazing opportunities to connect fans with talent at scale. Uh, but there's nothing in our mission that's like, you know, help talent sign the biggest, you know, contract uh, in the in the NFL history. Like other people do that, and you know, we think again if the agencies continue doing what they're great at, we but, can. Continue. But are you disruptive to agencies? I mean, like normally a manager or a talent agent would take a cut of earnings. I assume. Is this part of those equations or everything that you're doing is sort of outside of that legal structure that a lot of the most talent have set up? That, that That's totally on the talent and their relationship with their own agents. So like, I know that there are agents that, you know, take a cut out of this and then other agents, you know, look at this as something completely outside. Um, I can tell you that the agencies haven't been helpful uh, overwhelmingly in the last four years. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, like, the agents that were telling their talent not to get on Cameo two or three years ago, they're the same people that were telling them not to get on TikTok five years ago, not to get on Twitter 10 years ago, not to get on Instagram eight years ago. So I think it's just part of the process. And part of it is a brand risk, right? The, the agents don't want their talent wasting time on a platform that isn't going to work because they could have put their time somewhere else. So I've never been, I've never taken offense to that. I just have always felt like if we do our job and build an amazing product, uh, and really, you know, get that flywheel going on the customer side, then eventually, like, everyone will come on the platform. 
So let's shift to business um, because I think actually before we shift to business, let's just do one more just because the question came in and it sort of ties to the legacy business. A lot of what I see is obviously U.S. personalities or, you know, North American personalities. Yeah. Does this look if I go to Europe, does it look totally different if I land in Europe? Not that I can fly to Europe right now, but like if I look if I was in Europe or in Asia, is it totally built out or where are you on international expansion? Those person asking the question, Ramon Mendez says, how does this work? I believe there's already an Israeli startup doing a similar thing, um, or is international already performing really well? 20% of our business is coming from abroad already. Uh, one of the big advantages- In terms have, of creators or the actual uh, purchases? Customer, customer revenue. Uh, probably under 5% of our creator revenue. So largely it's people in Israel, in India, in Indonesia, and in Brazil, you know, wherever Canada. Booking cameos from U.S. personalities, shows that they like, sports that they like. Um, but as we think towards 2021 and beyond, right, we, we have, we've sold cameos in 178 countries already. And we know that there's demand for this all over the world. And ultimately, we believe this is a global network effect business. So for us, um, you know, we're going to continue to compete in every market that we're seeing uh, traction in. And, you know, we today already have uh, people in Australia who are working on APAC. We have people in London who are working on Europe. We have people in Argentina working on Latin America. So we're, you know, we're, we're already uh, seeing uh, international becoming a big part of our story. And I think if you're looking at the growth levers, a business like Patreon sees over half of their revenue coming from abroad. And I think at scale, when Cameo grows up, you'll see the same from us. And, and, Maybe before we get into business um, and shift, just give people a sense, how big is Cameo today? Like, is there any sort of revenue or kind of size that people should think about in terms of how big this has gotten over the last couple of years? Cameo has been uh, growing extremely rapidly uh, over the last time. Just some, you know, really interesting stats. Uh, we've now done 1.5 million Cameos since we started, 1.1 uh, million of which have come this year. So the business has grown um, extremely quickly. Um, you know, we'll get really close. We'll see how the next few days go. This is our busiest time, but we're within spinning distance of doing a hundred million in, in GMV this year, uh, up from 20 million last year. So, uh, the business in top line has grown, uh, extremely quickly, um, and really without any marketing spend. Any idea so you, how much, hold on, Richard, any sorry, idea how much impact Corona had on that? Um, that my question too. one way or another. Our, our financial plan um, was something that we smashed 75 days before the end of the year. And largely, um, I, I do think that uh, COVID was a pull forward for our business, perhaps of a full year. Um, talent that uh, were, if you talk to talent before COVID, the number one and number two reasons they didn't join were, I'm making too much money or I don't have time. And in a world where every single person in the creator class went out of business at the same time, and none of them were able to engage with their fans, Cameo became a really attractive uh, offering. And when they came on, they realized they like it. They can make a lot of money in a short period of time. They can create amazing fan moments from their couch or wherever they are, yep. uh, not having to go to meet and greets, not having to go to Comic-Cons, not having to sign autographs after a game. So what we found is people tried it probably because of COVID and and as the world's opened up, you know, they've, um, the retention has been extremely strong on the supply side uh, because the net promoter score is so high. What about the demand side? How much do you think COVID affected the demand side? And as things have opened up, has that changed? Oh, of course. Like just, just like anything, I think back to Father's Day and Mother's Day, my parents are both cancer survivors. So I didn't go and see them for Father's Day and Mother's Day. I sent them yeah. to Cameo. Uh, people all over the country did the same. And, you know, at, at Christmas, this is a year where uh, more people, less people uh, are, are planning to travel for Christmas than any, you know, any year probably since like almost the airplane was invented, right? Um, it, so in a world where you can't physically hug and kiss the people you love, like Cameo is a great way to do that digitally. And again, I think this is something where uh, COVID provided a tailwind, which increased adoption really rapidly. And for our business, if I could use a Mario Kart reference, this whole year has kind of felt like when you're playing Mario Kart and you hit the star and you go like 10 times faster and you can just run into things, like that's what it's been like. And one last thing, Richard, I know 
I, I usually fly off the side and crash when that happens. Though, <laughs> so one, seems like one other what thing, happened to me in many situations this year. I'll, I'll give you a really <laughs> another good example. So, uh, synchronous video chat is something we had actually like we just felt was a bad idea for a long time. We actually felt like synchronous versus asynchronous video was kind of awkward. And in a world where uh, the monthly active users from Zoom increased from 10 million to 300 million overnight. Suddenly us talking to talent about, would you like to go on a Zoom call with people? That became like something that wasn't crazy where five months ago, six months ago, nobody knew, knew what Zoom was, you know, in the talent world. So I think, I think in many ways, you're just seeing people embracing uh, the good that's coming with digital and distributed. Uh, and that goes for the fan talent interactions as well. So, you know, Peter Chernin and the Chernin Group's one of your investors. Um, I spoke at their uh, retreat, I guess now, whatever, probably was 18 months ago. And you and I sat next to each other at dinner. We had a great dinner. And I remember over many glasses of wine, you basically outlining that, hey, we're starting with this creator marketplace for consumers, the selfies, the new autograph. And you basically said, but, but that's small potatoes versus where we're going. Like, we can disrupt the local ad market. We basically can do things like, you know, there's no way right now for a Tom Brady or a Brett Favre to actually be the spokesperson easily for a local car dealership. That can happen in Cameo. So maybe just spend a minute and talk about sort of this evolution from B to C to how you actually, you know, work with small businesses and, and how you plan to disrupt that marketplace. I know you've rolled out biz.cameo.com, but just give us the high level. Like, what are you trying to do? So number one, we're just trying to fulfill demand that we're, we've been seeing on the site for a long time. So historically, uh, 5% of Cameo, of Cameo bookings had been declined by talent. Of that 5%, half of them were small to medium businesses hoping for a business endorsement. So very famously, we ran into this problem with Brett Favre. And Brett Favre kept getting booked by car dealerships in Wisconsin that thought it would be really cool to post on their Facebook that the President's Day sale at the you know Waukesha, Wisconsin Chevrolet dealership was going to be happening. And Brett told us, he's like, I would do this. I just need more money uh, to do it. Because if that car dealership actually wanted to do a local television commercial, they'd send a private jet to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. They'd send it back to Wisconsin. He'd spend the day filming, lights, camera, makeup, you know, the whole nine yards, editing, fly back. He loses a full day, probably costs one hundred twenty-five dollars to $250,000 to make something like that. Today, he can be sitting on his couch at his ranch. And in 10 seconds, you know, from his couch, he can create a commercial that's got the right aesthetic to put on uh, TikTok or Instagram stories or Snapchat stories. And, and that's for a fraction of the price. And that's a huge breakthrough. And, and we think that we're really opening the red velvet rope to invite all types of businesses on Main Street to connect with the biggest talent on earth or the people that are most relevant to their customers. This is a big difference. But you know, we're not looking like Nike and Coca-Cola and Gatorade, like know how to get to LeBron James and, and the A-plus list. But but we just think these opportunities in the long tail are, are massive. And in the same way we saw people in the long tail of consumer that didn't know how to get to, you know, a specific like actor or athlete using Cameo, we just felt the same would be true with business. And today we've done over a thousand uh, businesses that we've uh, have used our B2B product. Um, we're rolling out a whole new team because that business grew 10x this year. It's the fastest growing segment of Cameo. And, um, and we're seeing all types of different use cases, whether this is companies, um, you know, massive Fortune 100 companies who are buying cameos to thank their employees or to prospect uh, into new business or to engage with clients that they can't go fly to see right now. Um, we're seeing internal uh, HR using this for employee shout outs. We're seeing these at employee all hands. We're seeing this. Uh, people are giving job offers through Cameo. They're announcing on LinkedIn that they accepted a job offer via Cameo. So we're seeing so many different permutations that it just made sense to us that we should help businesses uh, use this product correctly. Facebook um, launched Super um, or is in, in the process of it. And we have an audience question about it which I, I think it's pretty interesting because Facebook has these relationships with businesses with literally te- 
what is it, 10 million businesses. And so wanted to get your perspective on how much of a competitive threat they, that they are. Number one, I think it's a massive validation for our business and for this ecosystem. Uh, a year ago or two years ago when we were doing our Series A and B, the biggest questions were about TAM, like how big could this possibly be? And today, like, I don't know, like Facebook's a, almost a trillion dollar company. I don't think they get out of bed for anything that's under a $10 billion like opportunity. So I think number one, it's great validation for what we do. Uh, number two, I think that, um, you know, the relationships that we have with creators that I think Patreon and OnlyFans have with creators, those are really like deep entrenched relationships. But at the end of the day, Facebook so far has been able to own a lot of the distribution, right? Like a lot of this is, these businesses are being built on the rails of Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, I think it's up to all of our, our platform and, and the others that I just mentioned to really start figuring out how to aggregate our own demand. And I think that's going to be a big part of the 2021, 2022 roadmap for Cameo and for those other businesses, because, you know, Facebook wants to come in and play there. Um, you know, we just have to make sure we're building a better product. And as long as we can make more money per minute than that, than uh, for talent than anywhere else on the internet or off the internet, you know, we'll be fine. And this is the message that I've given to my team. So, you know, we welcome the competition. I think it's a rite of passage in consumer tech that uh, you don't really have something until Facebook tries to rip you <laughs> off. And I think when you look at their history of, of being innovative, uh, if we lose to them, like that's on us, it's not on them. So to go back to the Brett Favre, um, how do you price small business and enterprise? I mean, again, we're, we've gone to the talent individually and we've told them to just pick a number that they think would be worth their time. So Brett Favre, for example, is $400 uh, for a consumer shout out. He was number four. So he added a couple of zeros to that. For a business shout out, he's $10,000. Got it. And they split the same 75, 25 on that as well? Yes. yes. Nice. And how long does that last? Like Brett Favre creates for a local car dealership, a, a you know, an ad saying weekend sale or whatever. How long can they use that? Like, is that months, days, yeah, hours? One eight hundred cars for cash. It's like five years later. You're seeing the same kid. Five years. Well, no, way, I, know, I know the I know the kid. One of the kids because he went to camp with my kid. He got paid fifty dollars for playing the the keyboard on that cars for kids commercial. Fifty dollars. How's that anyway? Sorry, sorry, Rich. We can go back to your question. No, no, no. That that was definitely not what I was expecting, Walt. That Crazy, was like right? way far. Fifty-seven cars for so kids. So right now, yeah. to, answer, to answer your question, Rich, right now the, the business gets a ninety-day uh, license to use uh, that asset on uh, on a social channel of their choice. Uh, they can also post it on their website. You know, for additional fees, they can extend that license period. They can uh, also uh, you know pay to have it on more. Um, platforms. I think if you go to biz.cameo.com and actually if you scroll down, you can go see um, you know the different offerings and, and how they and how they work. Um, so there's also what I noticed on the site a subscription element to your B2B offering. Can you kind of explain what that's about? Go through that. So this has been something requested uh, by a lot of like sales teams for us where uh, they're finding that uh, cameos are a great way to engage with the prospect that's gone dark. Or like I heard a story um, from one of my old colleagues at LinkedIn, there was a $191,000 deal that they were trying to close before the end of the quarter and end of the year. And they knew that the decision maker was a Steelers fan and he'd gone dark on them for you know a few weeks. And I think they got Terry Bradshaw to basically tell him to you know sign the DocuSign and ship the deal uh, before you know so so this rep could buy Christmas presents for her family, and it ended up uh, the deal got done. So you know sales leaders are seeing they are alive from this and they want it on a recurring uh, basis, just making it a little bit easier. So you know that this is again our first foray into any type of recurring revenue. How do you market to these businesses? Right now, we don't. Right now, uh, people go to cameo.com. Uh, when they go to book, they can say, I'm booking for myself, for someone else, or for my business. And they're just finding it there. So just to put in perspective, our B2B offering has grown 10x this year without a single person at the company working on it. So now what we've done is uh, Arthur Leopold, our chief business officer, 
and his team are now, we've just spun up a team that's going to be actually prospecting into named accounts that we think uh, we've seen buy on the one-off basis and also people that um, we think would be really good use cases for this. And so we're going to be proactively, uh, you know, selling into people today and then handling a lot of inbound through the web and through biz.camier.com. How do you promote the app today? I mean, do you do a lot of app installs or like what is the, I mean, or is it all really organic? Like what is your marketing approach over forgetting about business, which I realize you're doing none of, but just the Cameo brand, what is the marketing approach right now? So we hadn't really spent much money on marketing at all. Actually, before this Christmas, we just did our first brand campaign, uh, which was a lot of fun. I don't know if you guys have seen the commercials on television or on yeah. YouTube. Um, but again, that that's a really good uh, indication of the fact that the talent loved this brand. Uh, they, you know, they came in and worked with us and took some of their favorite fan moments of the year and, and put them, um, you know, compiled them and put them together in a really cool campaign. So I think in 2021, you're going to see more marketing from Cameo. Uh, only 11% of our core demographic knows about us today. So we have a lot of work to do there. I'm sorry, and, what is your core demographic? Because I think of it as everyone, but what, what do you define as your core demographic? So it's really seen as like 18 to 55 year old you know, men and women today um, who are buying the majority of our, of our Cameos. Um, and it's actually interesting because we sell more cameo. So 25 to 34 year old women is probably our, our top demographic. It's pretty evenly split, but slightly, excuse a little slight um, higher women. So we sell to 25, 25 to 34, 35 to 44, 45 to 54, uh, more than we sell to 18 to 24 today. 18 to 24 are the majority of our users. But again, because this is a paid service, they're not uh, spending as much as some of the you know, demographics with more disposable. So I do think some of the things you'll see in 2021 is how can we monetize the users that are coming by offering like other products that uh, may be more affordable to them. And you know the, the first one we're testing out, which has um, gone really well uh, over Christmas is our Cameo Pulse product. So this is a live meet and greet product. It's a Comic-Con at the palm of your hands. And uh, just last week, we had our biggest booking day ever last Friday. And uh, the top. So the, maybe the, just explain to people what that actually means. Um, so effectively, you could have a two minute FaceTime with. So if I'm the talent, you know, Rich, you would join uh, Brandon and Ross and Walter. You guys would be waiting in line and I would have a two minute conversation with Rich. At the end, we would take a selfie together. Uh, that's an Instagramable moment. And then Brandon would come up in the queue. So it's literally like a, a meet and greet uh, at the Palm. It's like speed dating. It's like speed dating or, you know, the, the meet and greets at a Disney world. I mean, you're basically recreating the Disney meet you and know, greet virtually. I exactly. saw WWE was doing that off of the WWE site. And then I think it was just today on Twitter. I saw that they abandoned that for Cameo, actually. Yeah, so the WWE is uh, is is a, a partner of ours that we're really excited to do more with, and you'll be seeing a lot of really um, you know big things coming from from this partnership. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Undertaker came on cameo as part of a, a limited edition, um, a limited time offer, which was a lot of fun. But there's a ton of uh, alignment between the WWE and us. And wrestlers were some of the first adopters of the platform. So, you know, you'll be seeing some cool stuff on, on that end. Who are the biggest right now, the biggest male and biggest female uh, celebrities on the platform? And can you give us a sense of the magnitude of what they're earning? What, what do you mean by biggest? Like who's made in terms of do, in terms of dollars? So I got in trouble uh, last <laughs> week for disclosing some oh, earnings. Okay. Um, so I've, we're not going to talk about uh, individual earnings, but at a high level, uh, this year Brian Baumgartner has done the best on Cameo, and then uh, on the on the woman's side, uh, the Real Housewives of New York are kind of all battling each other to see who will end up uh, number one um, of their cohort, and then Carol Baskin has done fantastic. So is it does it end up being? how does business work versus kind of just consumers like who, who ends up doing better? Like, cause 10 K for commercials, pretty, pretty good versus someone cranking out, you know, tons of hundred dollar spots. Well, they or get, booked a, they, they get, there's a lot less demand for those too. Right. Like, okay. Yeah, you know, sure. Well t today, but, but, but don't you think in five years that that could be totally reversed? 
it, it could be for velocity, sure. Velocity though is but, tough but to beat. I, I think the velocity of consumer is always going to be huge, right? Like that's the white hot center, and then you know businesses will come in as they as they need it. But even if you're thinking about like how often you know do you need like a new commercial for your business, right? It's probably not like ten times a day, right? Like it's you know maybe ten times a year. So we're we're excited about um, the the potential there, and uh, and that's how we've been thinking about it. When you think about the product roadmap, um, you've rolled out. I mean, again, when I first met you, like it was pretty. I don't want to say it was simplistic, but it was pretty basic in terms of what you were doing. It seems like every time I turn around, there's like a new product offering, direct messaging. You just mentioned zooming. Like, it, I, I mean, like. I, you're obviously not trying to keep it to one thing. Like you're obviously trying to see, are, are you just testing? Like, is this like AB testing, figuring out what works and you'll end up, you know, culling down to a, a couple of things or is the goal to have, you know, 10 or 20 different offerings for every creator in terms of the ways they can interact with, with fans. We want to make talent more money per minute than anywhere else online or offline, as I mentioned. And part of that comes with finding other things that they, that their, uh, their fans would really like to buy for them and offering that and facilitating it. So, from so what side, are you not doing today? So what are you not doing today that you should be doing if you think out over the next five years? I think merch is something that like we're not doing today that um, would fit in really nicely with what we're doing. Um, you know, we have, you think about all these like iconic people, uh, like actually physical autographs. I know something that's exciting. Um, I think, you know, getting into content itself, like we could be hosting every talent's podcast on Cameo. We could be um, helping facilitate collaborations between our artists. There's a lot we could be doing, but fight for simplicity is actually a value uh, at Cameo. It's our second value. So Rich, I'm actually very pleased and not offended that you said it's a very, it was a very simplistic product as by design. And we really felt that to build a ubiquitous global platform, everything needed to be so easy because talent acquisition is so hard and the more complexity that you layer in, the, the actually the, the harder it is to onboard people. So from our perspective, getting talent on Cameo was very hard. We have them on, they like working with us. We want to find other things to do with them. It seems, it seems so, like the challenge, sorry, Richard, let me just cut in here for I one. think you're going where I am. The, the, the challenge, maybe, maybe not. The challenge here might be getting back to an earlier question with the with the agents, right? In terms of wanting to to do a like, so on one hand, maybe you're taking away stuff that they were taking their vig on, but on the other hand, maybe the talent agencies should be using you as the platform and pushing their talent there because there's you're, you're finding a new way to drive the revenue stream. So I think it gets back to that kind of challenge in terms of adding because i can i can see this the cameo page right with adding like get your shirt your autograph maybe you even book the bar mitzvah thing for 30 grand and take whatever you're going to cut's going to be so and it, it builds fandom like it builds really authentic fandom you know around the talents like i mean this can be a huge for i mean i just think for like what this can do to build existing talent also reinvigorate talent that might not be as popular agreed right we we turn fans into super fans and we and right. super fans pay Right. So I think it's I think anyone that isn't, you know, encouraging their talent to be on Cameo today is going to look like a moron in two years. <laughs> so so uh, the, one of the last questions, uh, and then we'll wrap up um, with Brandon in a second, is just I think you mentioned when we, before we got online, there's thirty five thousand Cameo creators today. Yes. Um, if you look behind me, that's a full page that I took a screenshot on earlier today. And I don't know, there's what, um, I think there's uh, seven, there's 21 people on that page that you can see at once. This is obviously on a desktop, not on a phone, but how do you surface when you have 35,000 people? One of the questions that just came in is like, there's a lot of people that I'm really interested in, but it takes a lot of scrolling to get to the right person. Like, obviously you're not at Netflix algorithms yet in terms of suggesting, how do you deal with featuring the top creators versus making sure the person that actually matters to me is the one that surfaces to the top? I mean, this is like the billion dollar question, right? Netflix's algorithm still sucks. If my girlfriend and I want to watch a movie, you know, how long does it take to find something that you both actually want to watch? And, and theirs is about as good as anyone's. At don't you just lose your, don't you just lose that battle every time to what she wants to watch? <laughs> yeah. But you know, she's, she can be indecisive too. So she's like, well, I want to watch what you want to watch as long as it's not or or, you know, comedy or some or action movie, right? So, you know, I get those parameters, but search and discovery will continue to be hard. And that's why we're spending a lot of money building out our infrastructure 
Um, you know, we just hired a, a new PM that's working on search and discovery for us. So this is exactly, uh, you know, why we're, you know, while despite the fact that this is a pretty lean and mean business, we don't burn a lot of cash. Like we'll be out raising money, you know, early next year. And it's really to continue to scale our tech and make sure that everyone that's on the platform can be found because anytime people come to Cameo and say they, there's no one that they want on, that's not true. It's, it might be true that they can't find them, but that's what we have to do. Like we have to increase the matching. So what was the last round done out valuation wise? And what are you expecting for the next one? Um, our, our last, we, we never talked about valuation, but our last round is a $50 million round um, that we raised from Kleiner Perkins about 18 months ago. Um, to put in perspective. For what percent stake? Um, it, was, <laughs> it was it was under ten. Me. Under um, but at the end of the day, under like ten, under ten percent. Yeah, but at the end of the day, from our from our vantage point, um, look, we've this this year we five x the business year over year. Um, so we feel like we've you know certainly I think the TAM question has been answered clearly. Uh, the NPS is not dripped. A lot of people felt like. This cameo get less special at scale. I think sure. it's becoming really clear that I think it's the reverse. I think it's totally the reverse. I think it's feeding upon itself, and everyone wants to do one now that they're seeing it become. Yeah, agreed. And, and we're seeing that flywheel going. So um, I think you know, if and when we decide to you know go raise capital early next year, um, you know, there will be some. Uh, that, like it's it's just a really exciting story, and and um, and I think the growth speaks for itself. No doubt, Brandon. Yeah, so let's wrap with the first question that we got, which was not quite a question, but Stephen was why, early, and why anonymous from the out of ten days? I don't, a, I don't understand why, why anyone has to be anonymous yeah. in this. Don't be anonymous. Maybe don't the, be maybe afraid. That's, maybe that's let us know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, like VC Twitter is a lot of the conversation now is about Miami as a tech hub. And anonymous attendee wrote, Stephen was early on the move to Miami train. I'd love to hear more about that. Thanks, exclamation point. I think the anonymous is probably Brandon because this is the question you might have. <laughs> it so, was not so, me. <laughs> you received in the question. I get it. No, uh, that's a great question. So number one, um, I was... Uh, a really big thing that happened this summer was we decided to move the company to becoming fully distributed. And um, that was a really big move for us. You know, Cameo is headquartered in, in my hometown of Chicago. I'm a lifelong Chicagoan. I love it there. Uh, that's That will always be, you know, home for me. Uh, and then Los Angeles was around. That doesn't look like a lake behind you. <laughs> yeah, no, I am in Miami right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Too much and, green there also. And in, in, in August, <laughs> Um, I made the decision with a couple other entrepreneurs uh, from Chicago, like, hey, let's just move down to Miami for you know a year, see how we like it, and and decide. We're all running distributed companies now, so it doesn't really matter if I'm in Chicago or Los Angeles or Miami. I did not move here because I thought this was going to be a big you know tech hub. But since moving here, the mayor of Miami has been incredible. You guys have probably all seen his Twitter. He's like personally recruiting people and making it very clear that. Hey, we want to do. We want to be supportive any way possible. And then, um, you know, I think when Keith and some of these other people have moved down here, like the VC Twitter flywheel started, and I can't tell you how many friends or other founders have pinged me in the last couple of months. And and frankly, we've loved it here. Um, you know, my girlfriend and I had COVID pretty early, so on one hand, it's really nice being in a city where things are, are actually open. Um, you can go to a restaurant here. You can. It kind of feels like normal. Uh, obviously, people are wearing masks and stuff, but it's it's a huge departure from what you're seeing in Chicago and what you're seeing in Los Angeles. And then, secondly, I think from uh, you know from a, a tax perspective, um, it's a really exciting uh, place to be. Um, I'm surprised Brandon's still on the screen. He's not like packing his bags now <laughs> and heading down there. Yeah. So, like you know, for me, first it was I had this once in a lifetime opportunity to live kind of anywhere I wanted. Um, you know. I, I don't make much money at this point. So, you know, establishing Florida residency, you know, two, three, four years before, you know, any. Before the IPO. You, you got to get it established. Like that, uh, makes sense. And, you know, I'm not the person that's just going to like, you know, 
I never dip one toe in anything. Like if I'm here, I'm all in. So I think it's been really exciting to see how the mayor has tried to engage these entrepreneurs and founders and, and said, what, what can we do? How can I help? How can I make uh, this a great ecosystem for you guys to invest in, for you guys to bring employees down here? And today there's probably seven employee uh, cameo employees that are here. And, um, and one other thing I'll mention for my business uniquely um, is that a lot of talent are in, uh, are in Miami, like celebrity talent outside of Los Angeles, where we have a lot of coverage. Um, so, you know, this is a great place for me and my business at this point in my life. Steven, you've been amazing. Thank you for doing this. I know this is a crazy week, but I really wanted to get you on because the holidays is so important for Cameo. So thanks for making time. Enjoy the weather in Miami. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you in 2021. Let's follow up on neighborhoods. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you guys down here shortly. I got a three bedroom. So you guys can all sleep over. Don't make that offer to us. (laughs) Exactly. That has never happened on a light shed live before. Look at that terrace. Have a happy holiday, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Great to see everybody.